This episode is brought to you by Hyperice, the leader in advanced warm-up and recovery technology. They have tons of innovative products, like Venom-heated wearables to help soothe sore back muscles, Normatec compression boots to speed up recovery and increase circulation, and Hypervolt massage guns to improve mobility. Loved by athletes like Naomi Osaka and Erling Holland. Try them yourself. Get 10% off your order with the code MOVE at hyperrice.com. Has Steph Curry found his stroke? Are the Cavaliers now the clear favorites for the title? Can the Bucks make some noise in the playoffs? The only question left is, say it with me, you win. Hey sports fans, Coach Nick here and welcome to the B-Ball Breakdown Podcast. As always, I am joined by Coach Dave, Dave Dufour, and as always, we are doing this live on Periscope the night before on Sunday. So, Dave, um, how are you feeling these days? I'm good. I'm feeling real good. You don't feel any older, huh? No, not at all. That's good. I, feel, I, I really, I feel half my age. I'm good. I'm good to go. You, 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 and Donald Trump feel half your age. That's terrific. And here, uh, you're living clean, eating clean, uh, right. all those things. Yeah, that's right. Nice. Well, yeah. um, well, you know, basketball keeps you young. It does. It does. Especially if you get out there on the court enough times. I think like it's hard to do that sometimes. And uh, I was trying to throw the football around with my kid this morning, and it was just like it hurts. I don't like when it hurts, but. Uh, I can't go back. I, I can't feel the other way. I, I only can age. So we can fight that as much as we can. And let's not fight the conversation we're going to have today, which is about the NBA. That's right. Uh, we, we really need to get after it. I know like probably a lot of people listening and, and watching on Periscope have been, you know, their attention has kind of been on March Madness and rightfully so. Right. It's, it's an American tradition. Um, I read a really interesting thing. Um, did you know that March has 15% more vasectomies than any other month of the year. I did not know that. It's crazy, right? It's people time it so they can stay at home and watch the tournament. It's genius. I love it. I don't understand. You mean like because you're going to be laid up in bed for a little bit? Yeah, you're going to sit around with ice for two days, you know. It's okay. a great time to watch the tournament. You know, like your wife's not going to ask you to mow the lawn. You know, the kids are going to leave you alone. You yeah, make it off work. pretty good. That's that's my stat. That's my stat of the week. Is huh. that is that? Uh, uh, all right. 15%. Well, that's that's, that's an interesting stat. Um, speaking of stats, we had Steph Curry uh, really struggling, and people clamoring for weeks to have me do a breakdown on it. And I finally got around to spending some time yesterday to go through a whole bunch of clips and uh, and figure out what was going on with him. And you know, quite honestly, you know. And what I said in the video, if you watched it, was, you know, he, there are, if you look at the footwork and the way he angles his feet and the way all that stuff works, there is no rhyme or reason. Because I can show you as many makes as misses with the same kind of wonky stuff, and it's almost hard to figure out. Although, it does feel like he's hopping more recently than he ever has before. And my take on that was, I actually had caught him rolling his ankle in, in Philadelphia several games ago, and no one reported it, no one said anything. In fact, Steph kept playing, but it, it, was a, it looked like a pretty good tweak, and that explained why he was hurting when he ran into Alfred Payton later on against the Magic. It didn't seem like anything, but he ran right to the locker room. So to me, that was already a tweaked ankle. And, but so, so the idea being that like, if your ankles are bothering you and your feet are bothering you, then hopping probably is a good idea. Yeah, absolutely. It, it will take some of that pressure off. You can make sure that your 
you're getting your you know up on your toes. Yeah, it makes a lot of sense. So is your theory that he's been hurt for a little while? Um, I mean, I, I think everyone's banged up and that whole kind of thing. And I don't want to get involved. I mean, people, people, when you start to talk about Steph and being hurt, it's like a, it's a rage out there. So, um, you know, but if you're looking for a reason why he's shooting, he, he was shooting like 10% on transition open threes. It's like, it's insane. So if you're looking for a reason, I would certainly point to, you know, that could be something when your wheels are broken or your wheels aren't working right. It's hard. That's the one thing it's really not easy to do is shoot. Um, but that said, he watched my video Saturday afternoon. And, you know, because I recommended a couple different shots because we charted them all and looking at like where he was missing most. Very tiny sample size, by the way, but still sure. worth looking at. And uh, he looked very spry. And I think it had to do with just getting a day off, being home, getting a day off and just just clearing your head. Yeah. I mean, you know, he, he goes nine of 13, six of eight from deep, four, four from the line, um, 28 points. I mean, that's that's tidy. That's some really tidy shooting. Yeah. Um, and that's, you know, a little bit more like what we're used to seeing out of him. Um, but the bigger story to me is that Clay was also good. This is the first time in a while that they've both had a good shooting night in the same night. Um, they've kind of they've gone back and forth a few times. Of course, Steph, I think, was struggling a little bit more than Clay. Um, Clay had that amazing game against the Magic earlier in the week. Um, so this this to me was important. I think it was important for them to to both kind of go off. Um, Draymond does Draymond things, and you know they blew out the Bucks. So yeah, uh, yeah I mean I, I think hopefully this is the sign. You know they're turning the corner, and, right. and Steph is kind of bouncing back. And also they're, they're turning the corner of maybe just finally adjusting yeah, to having not having Kevin Durant there, and they're kind of getting their role set up again. And so you know that's the thing. But yeah, and but it, but Steph just looked spry. He looked energetic. It was like I hadn't seen him do that either in a long time. And um, you know it's good to see. It's fun because it kind of reminds you that you you know he really is you know one of the best players we have in the game and, and an all time great. Like someone was even saying like all he is is a shooter. But I'm like, okay, if he's all, all he is is a shooter, then he is the best shooter we've ever had, ever. We've never seen this before. And I almost feel like at this point they're just desensitized. They don't like his – I don't know. It's weird that people react so negatively to a guy that just celebrates after making threes. I, you know, I, James Harden doesn't get, doesn't get that kind of hate, does he, for this first story in the pot, does he? You know, I, look, I, I like to see guys enjoying themselves when they're playing. Um, this whole idea that you've got to be, you know, look like, yes, Kawhi Leonard is a robot, right? And Kawhi Leonard doesn't smile when he does stuff. I mean, Kawhi dunked on two guys in like the span of a minute and a half last week, and you would never have known it. Right. Um, and that's fine for Kawhi Leonard. You know, it's just like Barry Sanders used to just hand the football to the ref. But I also liked it when Emmett Smith would spike the football. It, to me, it's as long as you're not I, actually, you know what? Screw it. I don't care. Show up your opponents. If they don't like it, they need to stop you. Right. It's like the bat flip in baseball. If you don't want a guy flipping the bat, you know, 500 feet in the air, well, don't give up a home run. Right. I mean, well, yeah, I hear you. And by the way, he can do that. And in baseball, there's a natural balance where he'll just get it in the ear the next time. So that's okay. Right. That's, that's what he understands. But same in basketball. You know, you, you do a couple of those things. They'll set a hard screen or they'll, they'll take a foul or whatever. That's, it's all part of the balance. I don't have a problem with it. But uh, I don't know. I just like enjoying supreme skill. And it's something about that that just makes me excited. And I don't understand why, you know, it has to be that way. And, it, you know, there's probably a lot of deep layers involved in this that we don't have to really get into at this point. But certainly there's stuff that, like, out of Steph's control, it feels like that, uh, you know, it, that, that he makes him a target, unfortunately. But, um 
either way, it kind of puts them back in the conversation for you know, where they can now, like, I don't know, right now, if with, without Kevin Durant, do they beat the Cavaliers in the finals? What do you think? I think it's tough. They just don't have any depth at all. And, I mean, he makes up for, like, four guys. Right. And without him, I think they're hurting. I mean, I, that's what we've seen over the last few weeks. I think that we can point to that as the source of the real struggle. It's not that, that Clay and Steph just aren't hitting shots. They also, they have, you know, when they go to the bench, they're going to, like, I mean, they're starting Pat McCaw. You know, like, um, right. Matt Barnes is 38 years old or is 37 or 38 years old. Um He's past, you know, his great days. Um, I, I just think that's the bigger issue is depth. And so without KD, you're basically sliding guys up a slot that that really aren't start. I mean, Pat McCaw is not a starter in the NBA. So no wonder they're struggling a little bit. Right. Although I do like a little bit what I've seen. He seems like aggressive on offense a little bit. He's doing defensive plays nicely. So this is actually going to help them. And I'm sure like we talked about adversity with Steve Kerr. This is the kind of stuff that will really help them in the playoffs now that Pat McCaw is going to have more. And he has to. He had to have gotten more experience if he was going to help them at all. So it's good for him, I think. I would, I would imagine that this is going to benefit them. Ian Clark seems like he knows what's up. He'll be able to handle you know his role in the playoffs as well. Certainly David West will be, you know, he'll he'll be there and know how to handle that stuff so you know it might not be as bare as, as it seems but uh it's certainly it's a little bit precarious certainly without kevin durant um they they, they are mortal but um you know everything seems to indicate that durant will be back and you know maybe he'll be healthy by then yeah i mean i, I, I think that's what everyone is hoping um I, I just i don't know man the knee stuff really really scares me uh with any of these guys it's like a foot problem you know, uh, Steph last year in the playoffs, I think he came back too early. And by too early, I mean like six weeks too early. Okay. Um, you know, a, a sprained MCL, you know, that's that's three months typically. And, yeah. you know, I don't care what they say. No, I mean, he was not Steph Curry. He wasn't the Steph Curry that we saw all season when he was playing in the playoffs. Um, you know, and, and this isn't a knock on the Cavs and like you still got to win the games, but that Steph Curry was still hurt. So I hope that I hope he comes back and is healthy. And and again, if, if it takes sitting out that first round, I think that the Warriors are fine against Portland or Denver. Um, the problem is if they aren't the one seed, you know, in, in San Antonio is right there with them neck and neck. And if the Warriors are the two seed, they're playing Memphis. And that has been a horrific matchup for them. That'd be a tough, a really tough series. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, they don't have... Uh, I mean, Zaza can guard Marc Gasol, I suppose, uh, but probably gets into foul trouble that way. And then you got JaVale, who probably is not going to be able to handle that. And then, you know, I would like David West versus uh, Zebo would be really fun to watch. I mean, heck, I, and I wonder it, how they do that because uh, we've seen, you know, that would basically the starting line, they'd, they'd end up forcing Durant. To, oh, no, I'm sorry. Zebo's not starting now. So. Uh, you get a chance to get David West against Zebo. That would be a really fun, uh, you know, matchup to watch. Yeah, it would and, well, and then you know, Tony Allen is. I mean, who does he guard? He probably guards Clay. I don't. I don't remember. And Conley has done a pretty good job guarding Curry. So I, I think that for the Warriors, it's much more important for them to get the one seed than it is for the Spurs. Um, and the way the Spurs have been playing uh, the last few games, it almost feels like they don't want the one seed. Right. Um, because I think that they would probably rather play Memphis, which a little bit little bit easier, slower, um, whereas Denver and Portland, I, I, th- I wonder if Pop thinks about the long-term effects of having a, 
a series against a team that plays at that sort of pace. Sure. I, although I do think that um, maybe they're looking beyond that. Uh, it doesn't, doesn't feel like they'd, they'd be that concerned in that first round either way. Uh, the Spurs would be. Um, but it's then, uh, uh, then it's the next round where, where they'd be playing either three or six and suppose a four or five. Um, that's interesting. A very interesting question. So I don't know. I don't know what to make of that. Yeah, I don't know. Now, um, so yeah. now Ethan Sherwood Strauss on the True Hoop podcast, we, we haven't talked about this on the podcast, but he sort of confirmed my suspicions um, that there are some potential locker room issues going on with the Warriors. Oh, uh, uh, yeah, right. Uh, and, what, what did he confirm? Well, he talked about how much they miss Luke Walton. And, you know, like it's tough – it's tough for them to get the, you know, I, I think Luke's job as the relationship guy, um, you know, he remember the they started thirty nine and four with him. They were playing a much more free brand of basketball. The guy, you know, the guys were very open, and, and we saw the stuff last year with the Draymond Green blow up against Oklahoma City with you know the the shouting match in the locker room. Yeah, you know that was with Kerr, and so he and Kerr have a kind of a contentious relationship. I think I think that they respect each other. I'm sure they like each other, um, but I, I think, like Ethan Strauss said, that uh, they are really missing Luke Walton in the locker room. Yeah, what? Well, and that's an amazing intuition because no one was saying that before you started saying it. So uh, you know, props to you on on, on t- getting touch in touch with that kind of side because you're right. I mean, that is the role of the assistant coach. And again, it, it, it kind of is a backhanded slap, slap at like Mike Brown or, or anybody else who's on that staff who, you know, needs to step up in that role then. Although it's just not, it's not something you can always easily do. And Luke was, you know, a little bit younger, had played in the league um, and just sort of had that thing. And, uh, and it, it, it could just be alchemy. Like he just, he just clicked. But I do remember that with Draymond and, and remember Draymond is freaking out. I still can't really understand what it is. There must be something that Steve Kerr does, you know, like communication wise, it just gets on Draymond's nerves, I guess, because it's certainly not a minutes or a role, right? No, I think, you know, I, one of the things that Luke Walton did last year, you know, assistant coaches are, they, they rebound for these guys, you know, they're, they're working them out, they're warming them up. And when Luke was the head coach, you know, for the first half of the season, well, he was still doing that stuff too. And I think that that's important to the players, you know, like, like if you go work a guy out, it's different than just being their coach. Yeah. Uh, you know, like I have players that I coach and I have players that I train and coach and I have a, a different relationship with the kids that I work with outside of practice. It's just, that's natural. You know, we spend more time together. You, you, the one-on-one time you have a chance to really like get to know someone personally, you know, you, you joke around a little bit more, you know, there are things like that. You're experimenting more. I think that that is a large part of it. And maybe Steve Kerr needs to like just start rebounding for Draymond. You know, I, I don't know if his back will let him. Um, but, you know, he like you've got to find a way to be relatable. And, and I think Steve Kerr is an extremely relatable human being. Um, and he talks a lot about, you know, how they need to be playing with joy and all this stuff. Although I actually haven't heard that as much out of him this year as I heard as I heard the previous two years interesting so I wonder I wonder if there's just a little bit of I don't, I don't know I, I right. don't know I'm not in the locker room I'm just projecting um, I just I like Steve Kerr as a person and a coach I think he's a decent coach and uh, you know obviously they're a great team and so I, I don't want to see relationship stuff cause them to not 
reach their their peak potential. Right. And winning winning hides a lot of things. And so when you're 50 and 10, you know, any kind of issues that, that might be around just sort of are, are under the surface and don't bother anybody generally. And then you, cut, you get a little adversity, like, you know, we mentioned last podcast and like, here we are. But we'll, we'll have to see how they can get this ironed out. And if, if Steph can step up and make the winning kind of hide that stuff again, then they'd be in better shape. But if we're talking about winning, then we've got to mention Harry's Razors, a place to get high quality razors to shave your face. And if you're like Dave and need to shave your dome, they've got a special razor for that too. The trial set came to my door in a cool package with shaving gel, four razors, an easy to hold handle, and an even cooler story about their founders, Jeff and Andy, who literally bought their own factory to make razors for two bucks a blade, half of what you'd pay when going through the hassle of driving to the drugstore, waiting for the dude to open up a special locked case, since I guess there's a black market for stolen razor blades or something, and that's if you even remember to buy them while you're getting shampoo and soap and everything else. So head over to harrys.com slash coachnick and you'll get their trial set for free. There's a small shipping fee and you'll get a truly great shave out of it and you'll always have that smooth shave and soft skin. That's harrys.com slash coachnick to have all of your shaving needs delivered right to your door and you'll have a shave as smooth as a crossover step back pull up swish. Uh, Let's move on to the Cavaliers because they just added another piece and we're talking about whether or not the Warriors can be be threatened. And Kevin Love is back. Uh, He looked pretty good, didn't he? Yeah, I thought he looked great. Um, You know, he's back early uh, as far as the timetable went, uh, which I think is great. That must mean, you know, A, whatever surgery they did really was minor. Um, You know, minor knee surgery is kind of a tricky term. Right. Uh, B, he must be feeling good. Um, and he must have been performing really well in the non-contact stuff. And, uh, yeah, he looked spry. I, like, it, didn't, it didn't seem like he was uh, favoring the, the knee at all, um, and that's huge. And then when you consider they also just got J.R. Smith back, they basically just added two starting-level players, one a superstar-level player or close to it, um, right before the playoffs. You know, this is like almost like the trade deadline – for them because they, they went so long without those two guys. Uh, now it'll be interesting to see when they get Corver back. I'm assuming they bring Corver off the bench. Yeah. Um, I want to see what this, because they're going to have a ton of shooting. I mean, they can run a lineup out there with like Kyrie, J.R. Smith, Corver, Kevin Love, and Channing Fry. I mean, yeah. that could be incredible. Wait, um, I'm sorry. Did you say LeBron or not in there? I didn't. I said <laughs> Kyrie Irving. Now that they would probably run that lineup with with LeBron. Um, I know that they they really like this uh, lineup they were running the other day. It was uh, it was LeBron, RJ, Channing Fry, J.R. Smith, and who was the other guy? I can't remember. But there was another shooter out there for some reason. Maybe it was Shumpert. Yeah. Uh, and. Um, you know, it was just guys spotting up around the perimeter and LeBron making things happen. And we've talked about LeBron's ability to throw these passes, how he creates gravity and space with his passing. Um, and then the fact that he's now, sh- you know, shooting the lights out from three has, has really just opened the floor up. I think as of right this second, because, you know, they'll turn up the defensive intensity. I think right now they have to be the favorites to win the title. Yeah. Depending on, you know, if KD comes back and KD is KD, then I think it goes right back to the Warriors. But the question marks with KD, to me, makes make the Cavs a favorite. 
For sure. Now, the thing I liked about Kevin Love coming back was uh, they're doing a lot of high post offense with LeBron on the elbow and doing a high post split where Kyrie hits LeBron at the elbow and then goes and screens for Kevin Love, which I don't really like picture in my mind them doing a lot this year. And I, I think they did it some last year, but you know, it's always a really good idea to get your three best players involved on the same side in some sort of action. And Kyrie would pin down and, and Love curled in the basket once. Love broke back door another time. It was open. And then we saw Love sprint down and actually, you know, we hadn't seen him do that in a long time is sprint down and get like a, a little guy on him who's probably the first guy back on defense, pin him under the basket. And then LeBron throws a 40 foot pass to him for under, under the basket shot. And so those are the, the, the signs that Kevin Love is doing well and it feels good now, which is probably big because everybody else is being banged up, a little bit slow. He's had rehab and he's, been, he's fresh. And so we're going to see them moving back in. So I'm, I'm really uh, encouraged by that. And, you know, obviously the more you see LeBron James at the high post, the better they're going to be. Uh, just a tremendous action they can get out of the horns or out of high post splits. Yeah, we, you know the other thing is uh, what team has two guys that can throw 40-foot passes like Kevin Love and and LeBron and you know when those two are out on the court together I mean you know we we've seen it time and time again um they really leverage that they use the full length of the court on every defensive rebound like I mean that's the other thing about having love out there is that when he you know when he gets a rebound when he turns he's looking to push the ball up court and that's so huge for this team because you know, Ty Lue said this last year when he took over. They wanted to play faster. They didn't really play faster. But I think what he meant was we want to take our opportunities to score in transition when they're available. Not that we want to get out and run, but we want to take them when they're there. And, and you know, having a guy that can, can throw a 90-foot pass and, you know, on a dime is, is pretty crazy. Yeah, and very little wind-up. Just, you know, with glove, it's just a flick of the wrist. It's really uh, one of those fun things to watch when he does it. It's very rare. That, that Wes Unseld influence uh, from his dad's days. Um, just really impressive stuff. So um, should we take some questions? Yeah, let's do it. Well, I grabbed one from earlier by Ray518 who asked, Coach, can you explain the Cavs' problems on defense? Uh, I'll, let me throw this to you, Dave. What do you think? I think I think there's a there's a couple of things, right? Um, I think that they're not trying as hard on defense right now. I think that's part of it. Um, you know, Kyrie kind of you know they all take their they all take a step back during the regular season. I, I think that this is like LeBron's sort of mo at this point. You know, like he likes to ratchet it up in the playoffs. I think he he actually ratchets it up. For stretches, like if it's a close game, four minutes left, well, he's going to take the game over. Mm-hmm. And and I think he's, you know, like we've talked about this. He might be playing 40 minutes a night, but how many of those minutes are is he really playing? He's playing like maybe eight, you know, <laughs> right. really hard. You know what I mean? Like, And so I think that that's a big, a big reason. I think it's an effort thing. They're just trying to get by, and, and, and I think they want the one seed, um, but their shooting is getting them there. I mean, they, they've set a team record – they set a team record a few games ago for most threes made in a season. So they're obviously they're they're banking on the threes during the regular season. And I think that once the playoffs come around, you'll see them locked down a little bit more. The other thing is, outside of LeBron, who do they have? Like, who would you put on the second best player of the other team? Um, because Shumpert is not really a good defender. Right. Um, Kyrie Irving has he has potential, but he gambles a little bit too much. 
Um, J.R. Smith, I guess, is the second best defender that they've right. got. Or uh, Shumpert. Shumpert's probably who the guy you trust the most. You know, uh, you're right. It, it is an issue, and um, that could be a problem. But it also it just frustrates me because yeah, they just turn it on and off when they want to, and you're not supposed to get away with that, but they do. And, you know, it's certainly not any, there's no teaching moments there that I could use for anybody, any other level, uh, you know, yeah, just screw around, don't play so hard. Oh, all of a sudden, okay, we got a couple stops in the fourth quarter, we win the game. Like, you know, but that's what they do. And, and we, yeah, we know that they're going to ratchet it up. And, you know, but I don't know if they have that next level of defense that they can actually play and stop middle penetration and really, you know, uh, stay out of trouble on that end, you know, against the top, you know, Spurs or the Warriors. So that's where it's going to get interesting because, if they don't get that handled, you know, better, then then they're not gonna they're gonna win one game in the finals. Yeah, absolutely. Especially if the Warriors are at full strength, um, with their with their switchability, you know, um, yeah. I think that that's gonna be tough. Uh, so yeah, let's get some more questions coming. All right, I got another one. I got Tri- oh. Triven Man Seventeen. Or you have one? No, go ahead. All right, Tri- Triven Man Seventeen asks, how much noise do you think the Bucks can make in the playoffs? And this is an interesting question because the Bucks are, you know, completely up and down. Uh, I don't think that they're going to make much noise at all. Do you? Well, so they've got to make the playoffs first. Right. That, that's the big thing, right? And as it stands right now, they are the seventh seed. Um, but it, we've got a, basically a three-way tie almost for seven, eight, and nine. So two of the Bucks, Pistons, and Heat are going to make the playoffs as, as a seven and eight seed. Um, I think that if I'm the Bucks. I mean, look, if I'm anyone, I don't want to play the Cavs. Um, but between the Bucks, Pistons, and, and Heat, I think the Bucks match up with the Cavs the best. You know, I just think that they're, they've got these funky guys. They're all arms. They can't really shoot, although, you know, they've got a couple of shooters. Uh, Middleton being back is huge for them. Right. But uh, I think the, the Giannis factor is huge for them. Yeah. I, I really think that that's important. Um so I don't know. I mean, what is noise? Is, is winning two games against the Cavs in the first round is that making noise? Because I think that that's kind of their ceiling. Um, if they play Boston, I think they maybe win one or two games. Yeah. Uh, but I think that that's their ceiling. But that's good for a young team. You know what I mean? Like we we thought the Pistons would build on on last season's or po- last postseason's sort of success. You know, it was one of the most impressive. 4-0 sweeps I've ever seen for the losing team, right? Like they look good and they seem to f- sort of figure things out, um, but it didn't turn out that way. Mm-hmm. But with a with a young team like the Bucks, what you hope is that this is a part of the process. You know, they go to the playoffs this year. That's a milestone. It's important. Right. If they win a game or two, fantastic. Well, and then they get to come back next year and, and build on that. Yeah, and by the way, what's too bad about this is was was last year should have been the year they got in the playoffs and kind of built on it from the year before that. And so that's really what kind of got all screwed up because they had that uh, the Bulls series and they were competitive. It was feisty. They got some good experience, and then it fe- they fell off the train. And so they 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 they've set themselves back a little bit, and they're kind of starting over with that playoff experience, uh, you know, thing that they're going to get this year if they make it. So that's what's really frustrating. But either way, uh, we I, I'm looking very forward to having a Giannis uh, playoff series and seeing what he can really do uh, in that spotlight and if he can come through because you know he could. He could turn in those triple-double monster games and really help control the game. And, um, you know, they could, they could be a little scary. But, yeah, I, I would see if they get in, if they're, if they're the eighth seed, they, they win a game, maybe two. 
uh, you know, and then and you know who knows if they get seventh or whatever, then then that that makes it a little more interesting. But they're just sort of a little frustrated. They ripped off a nice winning streak with some good wins in there, but you know, then they kind of it's up and down. I, I just, I, for some reason, kid just can't get any consistency with these guys. You know, I, I think that strong point guard play is important for a young team. And I think that when you've got a guy like Giannis who is, you know, he's learning the position basically, um, you know, they're going to go up and down with him. And when he's great, they're going to be good. And when he's good, they're going to be decent. And when he's bad, they're going to stink. And, and I think that that's what you've got. Um, but, I, you know, the bigger story to me in the East is the Miami Heat. Yeah. Um, to come from 10 and 30 to, to what they are now, which is, let me pull up their record. They are now 34 not, and 30. 34 and 34 and what? 34 and 36. Yeah, it's, it's kind of remarkable. They're still not at 500. It just seems weird because they've been winning for so long since that start. Mm-hmm. But I think that if they're somehow the seventh seed, that Boston or Washington, whoever winds up uh, as a second seed, I don't think either one of those teams will want to see the Miami Heat. They play so hard. You know, Whiteside is a legitimate rim protector. Um, Goran Dragic has been incredible. Uh, you know, they just got guys who can play basketball and, and Spo is such a good coach. Um, you know, like I've been going back and forth. I've been saying Scotty Brooks for most of the year. I think, I think if they make the seven seed, you got to start leaning probably towards Spo just because they don't have any talent. You know, this is a team that should be tanking. Um, they don't have their pick the next, the next year. Um, they should be tanking. Um, but they're not. And, and, you know, he's getting the most out of these guys and, and, you know, they're cast offs and, you know, I don't know. It's, it's kind of crazy what he's doing. Yeah. Dion, I mean, Dion waiters is, is doing his thing and it's been, you know, good. He, he really has sort of, sort of figured some things out and it's remarkable what he's done there. And you're right. Uh, I mean, he, he, he moves ahead of Scott Brooks, but then I, I still feel like Dan Tony, as far as coach of the year, probably hovers above them just because they're doing you know so well as well after coming off of a, of a such a terrible year last year. So um, it's a, it'll I be think a great the again. narrative. What you know, we it? talked about this. We've talked yeah. about this before. The narrative. The narrative is that Houston has good players. Right. Um, you know, I, obviously Miami doesn't have anyone that approaches Harden, um, but. I just think that that I think that narrative stuff matters, especially for these those types of awards. Oh yeah, and when when Dragic is playing at his best, it's not like Harden. He's he's more like a Tony Parker, but you know what I mean. Sure. Like, and he's not as good as Harden, but he is some reasonable version of that in a way that like you know we can't sleep on him. And even though we have, and he's been up and down in his career, has been an interesting tale. So. Um, you know, but he he really he can put out so much pressure on the defense in a similar way that Harden can. Um, and now that they got Wade out of there at this beginning of this year, and he's finally had a chance to do what he likes to do. Uh, you know, look, he's twenty points a game, six assists. Uh, he's shooting lights out from three now, which is also a little bit of a difference for him too. So, uh, you know, they have a guy. Yeah, I mean, I mean, he can play, and and you know, uh, he's been good for Whiteside this year. I mean. <laughs> Whiteside has has been pretty impressive, at least statistically. Um, yeah. You know now uh, how important he's been to what they're doing as far as winning games. Uh, that's a little bit debatable, but uh, I, I think that again they are a team that I would not want to play in the first round if I'm anyone except for Cleveland. I think Cleveland probably runs them off the floor, um, but I don't I don't uh, I don't see 
any of these other teams really wanting to play them. For sure. Um, so we got a we got a question uh, from user. Don't know what to put. Um, what do we think of teams resting players on the road? Um, this is something you and I have talked quite a bit about on the yeah. podcast. I think if your if your sports science folks say, "Hey, this guy needs to rest," I think you rest him. I don't care. I don't care if it's you know, if if NBC gets a Sunday game for for some reason, right? Like, and they're gonna they're gonna play Round Ball Rock and have Mar, Marv Albert announce it. Exactly. I don't care if that's the case. If sports science guys, if they say to rest them, if your training staff says this guy needs rest, rest them. Yeah. Like we, we, you know, Adam Silver came out um, over the last couple of days and kind of said the same thing. You know, the resting is going to happen. We got to find a way to add extra days to the schedule so that we don't have as many back to backs and things like that. I think until we solve the scheduling problems, we all should just be okay with it. Because I'd rather a guy miss one game than have an overuse injury and miss consecutive games or yeah i i I hear you i i agree but i also man it sucks if you're gonna work uh you know your whole all all year long to save enough money to bring your family to a game and lebron doesn't play um you know that just sucks balls it really is a terrible thing so um I, you're right. I, but, you know, I think I think the solution is less, maybe less of the rest of the players wholesale. But then, yeah, let's get this season under control better. Extend it. Get rid of some of those, um, you know, uh, preseason games and let the rest happen that way, so that they could play almost every game or as many games as they can. I think that that might be the, uh, a better solution in my mind. Either way, but uh, certainly something we've been talking about a lot, and everyone's thinking about it. So they got to figure that out. Uh, should we talk a little bit about Lonzo Ball and what, where where he fits best? Sure. You know, uh, it's a question we got from Jigglepuff asks, uh, or he says, I think that Lonzo fits the Lakers the best, um, which is interesting because I was on a podcast, a Lakers podcast earlier today. We were talking about that where uh, I, I don't know. It feels like you put Jordan Clarkson on the bench or have a six man role, which I think he could be a really great six man. And then you let Russell and um, Ball play uh, as big guards, kind of like harking back to Penny Hardaway and uh, Nick Anderson. The magic. Yeah, I mean, I think that's one way to do it. That you know, if if ball shooting is gonna is gonna stay at this level and he can play off ball, which I don't really think, I don't know if he's gonna be able to play off ball. Um, but it, you know, he's a sixty nine percent free throw shooter, which is which is what bugs me about how high his three point percentage is. Um, so I think that that's it's interesting to have two big guards, um, but you know. Ball's shot creation is not very good. He's a great playmaker, uh, especially defensively. I think he's got good instincts. I think he will develop. Um, but yeah, I mean, I know the Lakers fans want him to like. There's this. There's a narrative driving this as well. Like he's an LA kid. He's yeah. going to UCLA. Hey, bring up. You know, keep him home. Um, but if you draft Lonzo Ball, you're going to have problems in the locker room with D'Angelo Russell. Um, there, you know, D'Angelo Russell wants the ball in his hands. Yeah, plain and simple. He's a point guard. And uh, Lonzo Ball thinks he's a point guard. So there, there is likely to be some issues there. And, and you know, not to continue to bring up LeVar Ball, as right. someone just asked what we think about LeVar, um, but the LeVar Ball thing is legit. Um, I, I really think, you know, he's not going to tank uh, Lonzo's stock because I think Lonzo has been a – he's been an amazing, right? Like the guy works hard. Um, you've never heard. I've never heard anything bad about the the guy himself, right? And that's right. important. Like NBA teams, they ask around, they're looking around. 
Um, and for my friends that that follow uh, the draft stuff, I haven't heard anything bad about Lonzo. Lavar is not tainting Lonzo, but you know the media narrative, right? Like you're in LA, you've got Lavar. He's going to talk a lot. You know, he's trying to get a TV show, which is why he's doing all this stuff. And so I wonder, will that will that get on people's nerves? I mean, you know, D'Angelo Russell has to me the most potential on that team to get to that star level of play. Um, you don't want to you don't want to have problems with that player, right? Like you don't want to bring in someone who's going to be a conflict to that guy, or even a, you know knock his confidence out. Um, so I think that that's that's my concern for them. Not so much about fit on the court; it's more about fit in the locker room. Yeah. Oh, I hear you. That's interesting. So, uh, I, I, yeah, and I, I would say that Ingram, I think, has that star potential, maybe more than than uh, than uh, uh, Russell. But either way, if they if they both had some semblance of that, then that's pretty good. They'll have some. You know, that's good talent to have around uh, as they build. So we'll have to see how that plays out. Uh, do we have any other questions that we want to talk about or solve any other problems for the NBA, if you will? <laughs> well, we could get rid of the charge. Right. Oh, yeah. I mean, if you're, by the way, again, we talk about this ad nauseum, but you're watching these NCAA games. It's like the refereeing over and over again is just really terrible. And it, it was heartbreaking to watch uh, the game today. I was just watching that they lost. Um, what game was I watching? And it, it, uh, it was Rhode Island. Rhode Island loses on a charge call where, and, you know, they had a great camera angle. And if you look at the vectors, this is what I don't understand why they can't train referees to do this better. The, the offensive player's vector is going like toward the baseline, toward the drifting away from the basket. The defensive player takes the charge and he falls toward the basket. Right. It, it, it's a 45 degree angle difference of the vectors where it's clearly not knocking him down into that direction. That's not a charge. And yet they fall for it. It cost them the game and it was brutal. You know, to me, sliding in front of a guy to draw a charge is not a basketball play. You're not defending the ball. Um, and, and, and the other thing with these, with these refs is it, I know if someone hits the floor, if you have, if you have an offensive player going into a defensive player and one, uh, one guy hits the floor, usually a defensive player falls down, right? Cause he's right. trying to draw a charge. They're calling a charge or a block no matter what, even if there's no foul, like, and you should just let them play. Right. Uh, I think that that's the bigger thing and that's got to stop. And, and, you know, the other thing about the NCAA you know, I, I've been on record as saying I don't really like college basketball. I think the coaches overcoach. I think the referees are not great. Um, but the refereeing thing you can fix. The NCAA needs to take over the refereeing. They need to say, hey, look, if you're going to be a, a conference or if you're going to you know, play in the NCAA, we want to have one group of referees rather than each conference having refs. I mean, I get it because, you know, ACC probably has better refs than uh, West Coast Conference because they can pay them more money. Um, and the ACC doesn't want to lose those refs, but you know, for the good of the game, let, let's let's kind of homogenize this and, and get a consistent thing. Right. Um, and then next, I think that they, you know, they someone just asked, do you believe charges could be reviewed? I think they should be reviewed, um, but I don't want to stop the game. I want them to be reviewed in real time as they happen. And, and if, if the rep again, just get rid of the charge. And none of this, none of this matters. If you just get rid of the charge, people aren't going to do it. It'll take them, you know, one practice to get over that the idea of sliding in front of a guy for a charge. Right. So I mean, you keep the offensive foul, but just get rid of the charge, the charge play. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Especially in the lane. Especially in the lane. You yeah. know, I mean, if a guy like uh, uh, the rare charge that you get 
on the wing. Yeah, or at a half court. Those, in the, in the, yeah, right. Those are usually legit charges. Yeah. Um. You know, but but the in the lane stuff where the guy slides, the help defender slides over. Yeah. Um. Especially, you know, like they just call it so often after the ball's been picked up, right. which to to me that means it's continuation. I just. Right. Think, uh, but by the way, there's a great point made here where the charge is the only. And I, this is the point I've made it as well. Is the charge is the only advantage defense has to fight for uh, have a chance to stop the the offense. A so great great comment there. Um. But uh, if you have the offensive foul notion where like pushing off and using your chicken wings or whatever like that's still a deterrent it's not the, so it's not the only thing that helps the defense uh but it, it is a, it is a thing it's so it's hard enough to stop teams as it is um you know now you're gonna let now let, not, not let them have a charge and so suddenly you can just at will just drive the basket knowing that either you're gonna get you're gonna get the call for free throws or nothing else will happen it's tough or maybe i guess a block shot could be the one thing uh it, it would certainly put a new premium on big men because you'd have to have a guy that could block a shot if you can't take the charge. Um, it's it's a it's a conundrum. I don't know. I, I wish they'd simply just be better at calling them. I wish they could somehow train that better. Either way, uh, but you're right. Th- th- there's a danger issue as well that's troubling uh, with a lot of these pl- these pl- these plays as well that needs to be solved. So it's a. Uh, I don't know if we can solve that question tonight. Yeah, probably not. I mean, I, what I will say, you know, having watched this is the most college basketball I've watched since. This time last year, yeah. um, I still think that they should adopt FIBA rules. Um, I think that they should they should go to the four ten minute quarters. You know, the, the women's game has done that. Um, I think that they should advance the ball after timeouts. Yeah, uh, at, at least in the last two minutes. Um, yeah, you, I, I can't, think that, you can't inbound the ball uh, in the backcourt. I believe ever right. Uh, yeah, no, you can't. Yeah, um, and I think I think they should. Uh, what else was there? Oh, no live ball timeouts, right? So let's say you're, you're a team that does a press and you get a trap. And they're, I saw this yesterday. And they're approaching a 10-second violation in the backcourt. And then they call a timeout. You know, it's been nine seconds. They call a timeout. And now on the inbound, they get to reset that 10 seconds. Yeah. It's insane. So yeah. what you're saying is we are taking every, uh, every advantage that the defense gets for itself Every advantage it earns, we're going to take those away. We're going to give them, you know, we're going to give the offense this tool. I think that that's garbage. And, and you know, uh, someone brought up flow of the game here in the Periscope chat. Absolutely, it'll be a, it's a much more aesthetically appealing game. It also gets gets them down to about you know two hours or less. Right. Uh, so because you, you don't have as many stoppages, I would also get rid of some of these timeouts. Um, yeah, it's, it, the timeouts are in, are horrible. It's it's it ridiculous. Leads to overcoaching. You know, we saw we saw tonight um, with the uh, the Rhode Island loss to Oregon. He called um, Rhode Island's coach Dan Hurley calls a timeout with a minute and twelve seconds left in a tie game. Okay, his team has the ball. They're they're coming up court, and he calls a timeout with a minute and twelve left. Well, it happens to be their last timeout. So this this guy is overthinking this situation. Yeah, look, you've got like four possessions left in the game. Okay. So hopefully you score on this one. If not, come down, get a stop, and then maybe take your timeout. Right. But right. when he needed the timeout, he didn't have it. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then meanwhile, uh, tie game coming back, uh, the uh, Oregon had a two-for-one. And they wouldn't have had to rush it. They just get a two-for-one shot, and they don't. And instead get a 
a 35 footer from the top of the key and he buries it for the win. Like that was also crazy. Like how that happened because they didn't really run anything. They, they, they like ran the clock down almost. It, it was, it was very strange. So for all the overcoaching, then you get like no coaching <laughs> in a way yeah. that, you know, and then the, I guess that was how it's supposed to be. The players decided the game, but man, it was a very strange ending to a, what was a good game. Uh, and by the way, speaking of overcoaching, not coaching, whenever, you know, coach K is going down in the, in the second round, uh, to South Carolina, and it's the game is, is over pretty much. They're down by, uh, well, they're down by six with 30, 26 seconds to go. So we can talk about Coach K and, and uh, his program on a, on a different date. But uh, I yeah. think it's time to wrap this thing up, Dave. Yeah, I, I think so. Um, this this was a pretty good one, and uh, we might have covered as much ground as we've ever covered in a podcast. So that, that's pretty good. Yeah, who knew? It was a great, a really good podcast. Definitely, you know, thanks for everyone to come and come by on Periscope and giving us some questions, and then following us and listening to us on the podcast as well, audio wise. Um, so remember, every Monday we'll be here, and uh, in the playoffs we'll probably do some more. So we'll be all over the place: Periscope, Facebook, YouTube, live, uh, wherever yeah. you can find us. All over, and and for you guys that are just watching us on Periscope, um, you know, even even if you don't download the podcast, go ahead to iTunes and and give us a review and and, and rate it because it really helps uh, new people find the podcast, uh, which helps keep, get us doing this more often. Yeah, uh, rate yeah. it, give us a yeah, even even a star would be nice, or a few stars would be nice, and then you know, hey, listen to it too, give us a listen on the on the audio version too. Maybe you didn't say for the whole thing, so. Well, either way, thanks for joining us. Thank you, Dave, for coming on the show again for another great episode. And don't forget, sports fans, at B-Ball Breakdown, we're not a channel. We're a conversation. You in? Are you in, Dave? Yes, I am. <laughs>